Good morning. Great to see everyone today. It's good to be together. And as we carry on and as we're getting really um, toward the end of our study here in Acts, um, we want to look specifically today at um, the words that, that Paul spoke there to King Agrippa. So in a, in a previous study, we, we looked at it from the, from the standpoint of, um, you know, just speaking truth to power as, as Paul did uh, there with Agrippa and with Festus and previously with, with Felix. But then in the course of um, speaking to Agrippa, as we just read here, Paul tells his story and he tells the story of the commissioning really of um, Jesus uh, to, to him. This, this is what uh, Christ would commission him to do. And, and of course, Paul is reflecting back on the event that took place. It was recorded in chapter nine. We, we studied it back there, but it's, it's the moment of uh, his own conversion. And he was uh, simultaneously converted and commissioned and so he expresses that here before Agrippa and Festus. And in one sentence, uh, he expresses the purpose, promise, and power of the gospel. And that one sentence is found in verse 18. And so uh, he said there, quoting Jesus, um, that he would deliver him from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So in that one sentence, we see the power, the promise, and um, or the, the purpose, the power, and uh, the promise of the gospel. And so that's what I want to do. I want to look at each of those points, beginning with the purpose. So the purpose, uh, Jesus said, is to open their eyes. That's where it starts. The Bible teaches that we, by nature, every human being, our, our natural condition is that we are blind spiritually. We are blind. We, we don't see things for as they really are. We, uh, you know, we, we don't recognize that there is a spiritual world that coexists with our material world. We're, we're blind to that reality. And so in order for us to come to Christ, our eyes have to be opened. And that's the first thing that uh, Jesus said to Paul, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Now, th this is the second thing that we quite often don't recognize. Uh, but outside of Christ, we're, we're in darkness. We are, uh, we're in darkness spiritually. We're in darkness uh, morally. And again, the darkness is contrasted with the light of, of who God is and what God's will is and his ways and so forth. And, and so we live in that darkness, but that's all connected to being under, the third thing here is that we are under the power and um, the dominion of Satan. And so this, this is the natural condition of humanity. And if you are not a Christian today, this is a description of your present situation. Blind to the things of the spirit in darkness and under the dominion of Satan. That's a reality. Every person uh, is either there presently or was there prior to their receiving the deliverance that comes through Christ. Now, Paul, who received the commissioning you know, late, later on, as he would write letters back to the various churches that were established, um, as he was teaching them, he would say things that echo 
the very mission that Jesus gave him. And I want to give you a couple of examples. Uh, in writing to the Corinthians, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he said this. He said, the God of this age, and that's a reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So here we see that, that connection. Paul's echoing again uh, what Jesus said to him, the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And then in writing to the Ephesians in the second chapter of the letter to the Ephesians in the second and third verse, uh, Paul says to them, he says, you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So again, echoing what Jesus said to him, uh, walking according to the course of this world, the course of this world are the fads, the fashions, the trends, the philosophies, all of those things that, that dominate the world. Um, Paul says that these are, the course of this world is being directed or dictated by the prince of the power of the air. And that, that's another reference to Satan. So he's referred to in writing to the Corinthians as the God of this age. And what that tells us is that he is the one who's presently in control of the world. Now, if you understand that, if you have that as your worldview, then the world, the, in the condition it is, it makes sense. Well, of course the world's gonna be messed up. The devil is the one who's running the show. And that, that's the explanation for why things are the way they are. Uh, but then he's also referred to as the prince of the power of the air. And like I said, he's the one who... Um, influences, his, his influence goes out. You know, like the, we have uh, radio waves and things like that that go out uh, f through the airwaves. And you can, um, if you have the right, you know, receptor, you can, you can tune into all of that and, you know, Wi-Fi and all of that stuff. All of these things are out there in the air. Well, Satan is behind all of that scene putting out his ideas. And of, and of course, uh, you know, quite often he's putting them out through influencing people. And he's influencing the people that have influence and then they are able to promote and to spread uh, his ideas throughout the world. But th this is the condition that the world is in and this is the condition that every single person is in until they are um, liberated from that by Christ. Now, now just, a, just a quick diversion here for, for a moment and to just talk a little bit more about Satan. Um, so the God of this age, the, the prince of the power of the air, uh, he's referred to as uh, the evil one, uh, he's referred to in the book of Revelation as the destroyer. Uh, Jesus said that he is a murderer and a liar. Uh, Satan means the adversary. Uh, the devil, that word devil means slanderer. And so all of those descriptions are, are really um, just, that, that's who he is. And he... Of course, as the murderer, as the liar, as the destroyer, uh, he uses deception to, to ultimately try to destroy people's lives. And the only, the only thing that can break Satan's power over a person's life is that greater power of the gospel. So Satan has greater power than any, any human being has or any uh, group of human beings. So in other words, I can't just through my own efforts, I can't break myself free from Satan's grip over my life. 
I can't do that. I can't band together with a bunch of people and say, hey, all right, now let's, um, you know, let's just give it one good charge and we're going to knock the devil out. Uh, it, just, it just doesn't work. We can't do it. There's only one power that can break the grip of the devil, and that's the power of Christ. And that power is brought to people through the gospel. And so Jesus, of course, he knows that. And that's why he commissions Paul in the way he commissions him. So the purpose of the gospel is ultimately to deliver us from, uh, it's put like this in, in Colossians uh, chapter one, that when we put our faith in Christ, we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own dear son. So that's what happens to us. We are, our, our eyes are open. You know, have you, have you ever um, had a moment in, in regard to anything where suddenly your eyes are open? Now, you know, we're talking metaphorically here, right? But, you know, you have those moments where just suddenly you see clearly. You, suddenly you know something that's just been, um, you know, it's, it's been blurry maybe at best, or in some ways it's just been completely uh, just, you know, so far away you haven't even been able to, to mentally get near it. But then you just have this moment where it's all clear. And that's what uh, is being described here, to open their eyes where a person just suddenly comes to the recognition. And you know what the, the recognition is? It's kind of twofold, but sometimes the first part of the recognition is I'm lost. I, I, I'm a sinner. I, I'm evil. I'm bad. I'm in trouble. I need help. I need deliverance. That's, sometimes that's where it all begins. Now, there are other times where maybe suddenly somebody just sudden, suddenly flashes on the reality that, wow, Jesus is the Savior. But even though that, that does happen, I think more often what happens is the illumination is to our condition. I am a sinner, and I, I suddenly begin to look for a solution to my sin problem. I know for me, that's what happened in my life. I, I just had a, you know, another word you could use as an epiphany. All of a sudden, you just realize, man, I'm, I'm really messed up, and I can't fix myself. So our eyes are opened. But then when that happens, then, of course, there is, through Christ, there is the bringing out of that darkness into the light. And, and so we come to Christ, and now things are clear. I can see. I'm no longer groping in the darkness that I was once in, but, but now things are clear to me. And, of course, as it follows on, there is the breaking of Satan's power over us. So that's the purpose of, that's the intention of the gospel. But along with that, we have stated here the promise of the gospel. And the promise of the gospel here is twofold. It is, first of all, the forgiveness of sins. And secondly, it is an inheritance among all those who are sanctified through faith in Christ. So this is what the gospel does for us. The gospel brings us forgiveness of sins. Remember, the illumination is I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, not only can I not break free from my sins myself, but my sins condemn me. My sins put me in a place where I am condemned. I'm under the the verdict of God's judgment. Now, some people think well, that just doesn't seem fair. You know, why would God want to judge anybody? I mean, after all, you know, I, I'm not that bad of a person. And, you know, so sometimes somebody can maybe get their head around some super evil person in history that uh, has you know, been responsible for genocide or been responsible for horrific treatments of large numbers of people, mass murder and things like that. You know, sometimes people get their head around a judgment 
with something like that. But a lot of people struggle with, well, you know, how could God judge me? I, I'm, I'm not that bad. Well, you know, the truth is we're all worse than we think. We, we all tend to think we're not that bad. But you know, we're all in our own little worlds. We're all just little dictators. We're all little tyrants. We're all little selfish people who just are manipulating and wanting to get our own way. And we're, you know, anybody who crosses us and anybody who gets, you know, in the way of what I want to do, you know, we, we've got our ways of dealing with that, you know, slander and gossip and all those things. The, these are just more sort of individual manifestations of what these other things are. They're just happening on a larger scale. And you think of, I mean, you know, the, the most obvious um, tyrant in our modern history would be Hitler, right? He's the one that always is the default person when you want to talk about some really evil person. And man, he was really evil, no doubt about it. Um, but you know what? There's a lot of little Hitlers all over the place and all around Orange County. You know what? They're little Hitlers that uh, they, uh, <laughs> they got their little kingdom in their house and they're... Um, They've got their, you know, their, their people that they're, they are oppressing and things like that. That's a reality. That's, again, we, we underestimate our own sinfulness. And therefore, we think, well, you know, why would God judge? God is a judge. And you know what judges do? They judge according to the law. Any judge that circumvents the law any judge that says, well, yeah, the law says this, but you know, I think this over here, that, that's not a, a real legitimate judge. That's what you call an activist judge. That's a judge who's going to put their opinion over the law. A good judge, a righteous judge, a true judge is one who sticks with the law and applies the law. And God's a righteous judge and he has a law and that law has been broken and there's there's only one thing that can happen there. The, the penalty has to be paid for those broken laws. So you see, our sins separate us from God. They burden us. They ruin our lives and the lives of other people, but they put us in this position of, of being under the judgment of God. So what does the gospel do? The gospel brings us forgiveness of sins. So all of those things that I've done, all of those um, sins I've committed, or another way to look at it, and I think it maybe is helpful sometimes to look at it like this, sins are crimes against God. Now, we all know what it's like to, to commit crimes against society, and what happens uh, when you do that, you get um, punished for it. You get arrested. You go to prison. In some extreme cases, you get the ultimate uh, the death penalty. And, you know, not everybody agrees with that, but yeah, at least we all get it. But we got to think in those terms with God as well. Sins are crimes against God. And so those crimes, just like any crime, has to be paid for. But to commit crimes against God brings a death sentence. And yet, here's the good news. Through Jesus, there's forgiveness of sin. Those crimes that we have committed are blotted out. And we're no longer responsible to pay the penalty for them because that's what Jesus did. On the cross, that's what he was doing. He was paying for our crimes. And so as we receive him, then our crimes are wiped away. They're, they're blotted out is, you know, the Bible uses that uh, picture many times over that our sins are blotted out. So that's the first thing. There's the forgiveness of sins. And then secondly, there is the inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, Jesus is talking to Paul and you're going to preach to the Gentiles, the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance. So the inheritance is... The inheritance is both future and 
but, but it's also entered into presently. So we receive the inheritance the moment we put our faith in Christ, but we don't get the full experience of it until the future. So the full experience of it awaits me in heaven. And Peter, the apostle, he uh, spoke of this um, inheritance that, that we have reserved for us in heaven, uh, us who are kept by the power of God. It's an inheritance that is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's never going to fade away. Now, if you inherited a lot of money here on the earth, I mean, you know, that would be great, right? You'd love that, man. You know, you inherited millions of dollars. <coughs> but the, you know, the truth about that is that it will, um, it, it will at one point be useless to you. Uh, it can lose its value. It can be stolen. Uh, but one day you'll be separated from it and it won't be of any benefit to you at all. The inheritance that we have in Christ is it's there reserved in heaven for us. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It'll never fade away. And of course, we're talking about the entrance ultimately into God's eternal kingdom. Uh, Some of us, well, all of us here today and anybody that can hear me today, we've entered into the inheritance, but we're waiting for the fullness of it to come Others have gone before us and they've entered into it. But what we have today is we have uh, a taste of our inheritance. And as we look at the the bigger picture of scripture in the New Testament, um, the, the guarantee of our inheritance is the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. So when you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in you, and that is the guarantee of your future inheritance. It's a, it's a little, um, it's like a down payment. It's like a, a, a little sample. Like, okay, here's a sample, and the, the rest is, will come in the future. And the ultimate, the best, will come in the future. In, in writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul speaks of the Spirit as being the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And the Greek word that Paul uses for, um, for the guarantee there is a word that in Greek means, the, uh, means a, um, an engagement ring. So the Holy Spirit uh, is to us what the engagement ring is to the bride. So what does the engagement ring say? The engagement ring says, you know, I love you, I'm committed to you, and I'm gonna marry you, and you're gonna be mine. And the Holy Spirit is the engagement ring for us. God gives us the Spirit, and that's his way of saying, you belong to me. You're my bride, and you will be my possession, and you'll enter into the full inheritance of everything that I have uh, in the future. Now, of course, it's a great analogy in one way. Uh, it does break down a little bit because you might be thinking, well, what if, the, what if they take the engagement ring back? Um, well, that can happen here, but it can't happen. Uh, God, God doesn't do that. You know, somebody might give an engagement ring and then later decide, you know, I don't think this was the right decision. No, I don't, I don't want to go through it. God's never going to say to you that have received Jesus, you know, I don't know. I've, I've kind of given a little more thought and I, I don't really want to be in this relationship with you forever. So here, I'm taking the Holy Spirit back. Thank God it doesn't work that way. So the promise is that of forgiveness of sins and of an inheritance. And I want to emphasize again, the inheritance, we begin to experience it now. See, becoming a Christian isn't just that, okay, great, my sins are forgiven, and when I die, I get to go to heaven. Becoming a Christian is my sins are forgiven, and I get to enter into the inheritance now. Not all of it, not the fullness of it, but I begin to experience here now Uh, that inheritance in this life. And so the purpose, the promise, and then thirdly, the power. So what is that power? How how is it that this 
becomes a reality. When, when Jesus sends Paul, he says, I'm sending you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to the power of God. I'm sending you to do that. Here's the question. How is Paul going to do that? What, what is the means through which he's going to accomplish this? And the means is the gospel. Paul's going to preach the gospel to people. And this is the amazing thing, the gospel. And the gospel is this message of Christ dying for our sins, rising again from the dead. That message has the power to break Satan's grip over a person's life. It has the power to bring you out of darkness into light. It, has, it is the only power that can provide the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. It's the gospel. And so that's, that's what Paul was commissioned to do. He was to go preach. And this commissioning that Paul received back in this time here, as we're studying it in Acts, is the same commission that every generation of Christians has received as well. Because we're really all on the same mission that Paul was on. Because Jesus is not finished with his work. And what is his work? His work is to gather people out of the world and make them part of his kingdom before there's a judgment that falls upon this world and before he finally comes to set up his kingdom on this earth. But this is the mission. The mission is to um, go forth and set the captives free, really. When Jesus came and was uh, entering into his public ministry, in Luke chapter four, it says that he went into the synagogue in Nazareth. And there in the synagogue, he took the scroll and he began to read the scroll on that particular Sabbath day. And it, the writing was from Isaiah, and we would know it today as Isaiah chapter 61. And it begins with these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to um, uh, give recovery of sight to the blind. He sent me to set at liberty the captives. So you see, that's what Jesus said. That was his mission to do that. And that's the exact same mission that he's sending Paul on. And that's the exact same mission that we're all given as well. And it happens through proclaiming the gospel, preaching, proclaiming, heralding. Uh, that, that's what the apostles did. But you know, to simplify it, it's just basically telling people about Jesus. Because when we use terms like preach or proclaim or herald, which are all legitimate, we can easily get in our minds that, yeah, somebody else does that. Because I'm not a preacher, you might say. Uh, I'm not a, a heralder. I'm not somebody that's gonna stand up and just herald out the gospel. Uh, maybe you're not. Maybe that's not the particular calling that God's given to you. It's probably not, or you would be doing it already. But it might be in your future. You never know. But what every one of us are called to do is to speak the gospel, to talk about the gospel. And remember, as we've made our journey through Acts, we've seen those who have preached and mainly the apostles and uh, some of those others that were associated with them. They're the preachers, the proclaimers, the heralders. But then we have also seen that the, just the rank and file Christians, we have seen how they just go about telling people about Jesus. They go about talking uh, the gospel, or as John Stott would put it, they went about gossiping the gospel. They just went telling people about the Lord. Now, think of this. The state of the world, the state of everybody outside of Christ is that of blind and in darkness and bound by Satan. The, the solution to that, the liberation that is um, available for that is the gospel. God wants to use every one of us to set people free 
through the spreading of the gospel. And so we need to recognize that that's the case. We need to recognize that this is how it happens. And of course, one of the ways that would be, I think, good is to just think about how it happened with our own lives. You know, sometimes we forget. And, you know, there's a tendency with with us as Christians, I think, uh, to sometimes just make things complicated. And the gospel going forth, uh, God, God has just made it so simple. Just talk to people about Jesus. Just tell them. And you can even start with just tell them your story. Tell them what you did. <laughs> or tell them what you were like. Uh, tell them how you became who you are today versus who you were before. And you know, especially when you meet new people or, or people that maybe you haven't known for a while, you know what you find with people? You find generally that they're, you know, they're, everybody's kind of curious about oh, who are you and what do you do? And we've all got things we do and this is who we are. But you know, there's always in those moments an opportunity to just include that, well, I'm a, however you want to say it, I'm a Christian, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, you know, I guarantee that'll get a conversation. Um, well, it'll either shut it down entirely <laughs> or it'll ramp up the, the opportunity. Um, you know, sometimes it shuts it down. I've had many times where, you know, I'm having a great conversation with somebody. They ask me, what do I do? And oh, well, I'm, you know, a pastor and a Bible teacher. It's like, oh, okay, we're done. You know, <laughs> thank you. Don't want to hear any of that stuff. So <laughs> let's uh, not talk anymore. But then there's also those times where people say, really? Well, you don't look like a preacher. Okay. I think that's probably a compliment. So I'll take that. <laughs> I don't know what preachers look like, but, um, but then, you know, you, you just take the opportunity. And, and you know what I do almost all the time? I just kind of tell it, just various versions of my own story. Various, and what I mean by various versions is sometimes it's, it's more in-depth and detailed, and other times it's more brief. But it's, the point is that Christ came and changed my life. And, you know, here's the thing that I want us to all realize today. That right there, when you do that, you are putting forth the greatest power in the world. That's the greatest power. That, that is the only power that can raise a person from the dead. It's the only power that can break the power of Satan. It's the only power that can open somebody's eyes to reality. You are exerting the greatest uh, power possible when you do that. Now, you might be thinking, oh, come on, you know. I've done that a lot of times. It didn't really feel that powerful. It doesn't matter if it feels powerful to you. That's where we get hung up. Because oftentimes, we, it doesn't feel powerful from our standpoint, and we walk away thinking, man, I really failed because, you know, that was so, that was just such a bad uh, effort at sharing the gospel with somebody. But listen, remember this, the gospel, Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation. Not my presentation of it, not my clever way of communicating it or my humorous way or my winsome way. All of those things are fine. I would much, I would much prefer from my own standpoint to be winsome and clever and uh, brilliant when I share the gospel. But, you know, it's not, it's not contingent on that for it to have its impact because the power is in the gospel itself. That's what we have to realize. And if we realize that the power's in the gospel itself, it will make it much easier for us to just get it out there because then we just trust that, okay, Lord, I just threw that seed out. You know, sometimes after I have an opportunity to share with somebody, I walk away and this is my prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bless my feeble effort to get the gospel to this person because from my standpoint, it just seems so feeble. It just felt so lame. You know, it's like, 
Why did I say that? How come I didn't say this? What was I thinking? Why wasn't I thinking? Oh, you know, all of that stuff goes on in your head. But here's the great news. It's not dependent on you. The only part we play is just get the word out there. And of course, we can pray afterward that the Holy Spirit will follow up. But remember, it's the gospel itself that's the power. So as Paul goes out, commissioned by Jesus, he's going to open people's eyes. He's going to turn them from darkness to light. He's going to turn them from the power of Satan to God. How's he going to do that? He's going to get up and tell people about Christ. He's going to tell people that Christ is the, the savior of the world, that he died on a cross, that he rose again from the dead, and that he's alive now, and he'll forgive your sins. And then he's going to trust God to apply that. And I'll tell you, it never ceases to amaze me how that simple message um, can, can just literally impact somebody uh, to the point of, of just total transformation of their lives. You know, I've, to, I've told this story before. Um, I have a friend, he's a pastor out in uh, Fontana. I was with him yesterday, so it's fresh on my mind. Uh, David Zamora, um, we did a film a few years ago, the neighborhood. Maybe some of you saw that film. And David was highlighted in that film along with a few other guys. And they were, they were gangsters. They were criminals. They were, you know, very evil guys. And they um, all came to Christ. These four guys, there are four guys in the film, and they're, they're all serving Jesus as pastors today. But, um, but I'll never forget when David originally told me his testimony. He's in prison. He's got the three strikes out thing. And, you know, it's just like he's never going to get out of prison. And he's got this guy in his prison cell with him who's sharing the gospel with him. And the guy, you know, faithfully shares with him and he just continues to uh, push back. I want to hear that. I don't need that. And so on. And then, but then there comes this one moment where this guy actually says to him, he says, you know, this is the last time I'm going to tell you this. After this, I'm never going to talk to you about this again. And he just walks him through the basics. Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the dead. You need to give your life to him. You need to surrender to him. And um, so as, as he tells him this last thing, and, and then the guy says to him this, he says, you know, if there's one thing that you would want God to do for you, if there's one thing that you could ask God to do for you, what would it be? And he's, and my friend David, he said, I would ask God to take away my heroin addiction. And the guy said, okay, well, then you ask him. And so they, you know, guy went back to his part of the cell or whatever it was. And David said that that night, he said this, he said, Jesus, if you're the person that this guy and my mom have been telling me you are, then I ask you to save me. I ask you to take away my heroin addiction. And if you do, I'll serve you the rest of my life. And if you don't, I never want to hear your name again. Fell asleep, woke up the next morning, and has never touched a needle since that day. And was, you know, finally, you know, let out of prison and, you know, has won the governor's award for rehabilitation and, you know, just doing all of this stuff. I, I was at the, the men's apologetics conference out at his church yesterday. And coming from that, that gang world, uh, of course, you know, God oftentimes uses people um, with the kind of people, you know, that they relate to and his background. So you go out to this event and you've got all of these guys, you know, and they're all just fresh out of the joint, you know, that's, that's prison, that's their, their term, you know. <laughs> And, and you, you know, meet these guys are full of love, you know, they're hugging you and then they walk away and, you know, say, yeah, yeah, that guy spent 25 years for murder, you know, and this and that. And you're like, wow, there, there, there's no explanation for the transformation in these guys' lives apart from the gospel. But my point in telling that story was the simplicity of it. The guy, it's just a very simple thing. This past week, uh, Pastor Greg Laurie um, has written a new book that's not out yet. I got an advanced copy um, they made some uh, advanced copies. Anyway, I got a copy and I read it. 
And the book is called Jesus Revolution. And it's kind of a, of a history of what happened here back in the, the 60s and 70s. And, you know, it's Pastor Chuck and Lonnie Frisbee and Greg and some of the other players there. And he's talking about that period of time when there was just this massive uh, outpouring of God's spirit in Southern California. And um, they were baptizing about 900 new converts, most of them young people, every month for a few years. It was just a crazy, crazy time. But one of the things that stood out to me as I was reading through the book, and I know it, I know it well, I know Greg well, we're great friends, I know his story very, very well, and I know the story because I lived it as well, part of it. And, um, but as I'm reading through it, and, and he's giving different um, examples of conversions that took place, the one thing that's really standing out to me was the simplicity of it all. How, you know, back in those days, it was just that very simple message that, and people were just going everywhere talking about Jesus, how he saved them, and how uh, if, you know, if you'd like to know Jesus, here, you know, just believe that he died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead. And tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people came to faith at that time. But there's one story that Greg told there that I know because I've heard him tell it many times before, but it, I think it really illustrates the point of how the power is in the gospel, not in the presentation. Now, of course, today, Greg is an amazing, uh, you, you know, when it comes to proclaiming, preaching, presenting the gospel, you know, he does that just extraordinarily. Uh, but he tells the story of his very first time of sharing the gospel with somebody and getting to lead them to Christ. And basically, this is how it went. He went down to the beach. Uh, he knew he had to witness. He just felt compelled, but he didn't really want to. So he was down there. He was hoping that nobody would really, you know, ask him <laughs> what he was doing down there. Uh, but so he goes up to a lady who's, you know, a middle-aged lady, he says, on the, you know, she's there on the beach. And he says, uh, you know, would you like to hear the gospel? And he's hoping she says no, so he can just leave and, you know, get out of there. And she says, yeah, sure. And so he said, when she said yes, he just, at that point, he was frozen. He didn't, what am I, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna say? I don't even know what to tell her. So he has a track in his hand and he said he literally just began to read it word for word. So he's sitting there, the woman's looking at him and he's reading the track to her and every now and again looking at her, then going back down and reading. And in, at the end of the track, it, it asked this question. He's just reading through. At the end of it, it asked this question. Is there any good reason why you would not want to accept Jesus today? And as he reads that, the woman says no. And all of a sudden, he's like, wait, wh what did you say? And she says, no, there's no good reason why I shouldn't accept Jesus today. And he goes, wait, do you mean you want to accept Jesus? Uh, yeah, I want to accept Jesus. So then he said, okay, so... Then in the track, it tells you how to do that. So he just reads to her how to do it. And he said, when it was all said and done, she was just sitting there weeping. And she said, she just felt that, you know, God, God touched her at, at that moment. Now, I mean, to me, that it's just, you know, it's, it's a funny story, but it's also illustrates the point that the power is in the message. See, God's word is like, you know, like a seed. You look at a seed and you have, I mean, if you just look at it on the surface, what does it look? It doesn't look like anything. But there's all of this information in the seed. And if you plant that seed in the ground, that seed is going to spring forth into life. All that information is going to come up in a plant or in a tree or something like that. And the gospel, listen, the gospel is the seed of God's life. And when God's life gets planted in a heart, it springs up in a person's life. And that's called conversion. That's called salvation. That's called being born again. And so, hey, if, you know, if it's just reading a tract or telling your story or you're more developed in your understanding and you're able to just walk somebody through 
the gospel, and that's what we should aim for. Uh, we want to grow and learn and be able to communicate. Uh, but, but whatever it is, the, the important thing is to get the message out. And that's what Jesus sent Paul to do. You're going to set people free from the power of the devil. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it through the gospel. And that's what we have been called to do today. So the gospel is the means by which people come out of the darkness of sin and out from under the power and dominion of Satan. That's the means, and it happens through them believing. So really quickly, what is the gospel? Let's just be crystal clear. The gospel, remember, means good news. It is the good news that God has provided a way for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be reconciled to him, and for us to become his sons and daughters and heirs of his eternal kingdom. That, that's what the gospel has done. It's, done, it's provided that for us. But, but what is it that Jesus died for our offenses and that he was raised so we could be justified? That's, that's the gospel right there. Jesus died for our sins and he rose again so we could be justified. And the moment a person believes that in their heart, that instant a person is, is translated, is, is moved out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. Now, salvation is instantaneous. Conversion is instantaneous. Uh, regeneration is instantaneous. These are all words that basically mean the same thing. But there follows what we call sanctification. There's the, there's the developing. There's the maturing in my Christian life. But that, that's not becoming a Christian. That's becoming more like Christ. But becoming a Christian or being... Um, born of the spirit, that happens the moment a person in sincerity says, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Christ is the savior. I believe that he rose from the dead and I, I receive that. That's, that's what happens there. So Paul, as he finishes up with Agrippa here, he says that when Christ gave him this commission, he says that he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but he declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. And so that's what happens. Repenting, the word repent just means to change, means a change of mind. So your mind has been set against Christ. Your mind has been set against his salvation. Your mind changes. And with the changing of your mind, there is going to be a changing of your life that will follow. There will be transformation that will come. And, you know, more and more, we need to get back to the realization of that, that power in uh, the gospel. I think sometimes we've um, we've been so, you know. Of course, we we expect change and we look for change and we know that change will come if there's true life there. But sometimes we put too much of an emphasis on change too quickly, failing to realize that um, sometimes the you know the change is progressive. And what happens? I've, I've seen this so many times a person has a moment where they really believe the gospel and something happens. They sense that something's happened, but then they go on for a time where it's like, I, I don't know, you know, somebody looking on, I'm like, I, I'm not sure if anything happened. It doesn't it kind of, you know, they're kind of back over here and they're wobbling here with this and that. But then, you know, suddenly they just, they just take off and they, they begin to soar. That's a, that's a process that I think is, is very real for people. I talked to a 21-year-old kid yesterday, and basically when he told me his story uh, of, of kind of like a three, four-year, probably three-year journey, and I said, so, so when did you come to faith? And he said, well, you know, I've just really begun to really follow the Lord, but, 
But then when I was 17 in high school, this happened and I prayed this prayer and I really felt like something lifted off of me. But then I kind of drifted and wandered around and, and, but now I don't know, something happened and God just pulled me in and now here I am and I want to serve him and all of this stuff. And I'm thinking, I have heard this story a thousand times. The life of God was planted in there and a real thing took place. And then through a process of hit and miss kind of thing, uh, but, God, but God was at work the whole time bringing them through. And, and I'm saying this because I think sometimes we, in our impatience, we pressure people that, you know, right this minute, you got to do this. And, and, and then, you know, they, do, they don't do it. And then, but we haven't really even let the, the seed really take root. And, and that is because, I, th- I think for pastors, that's because we're not really trusting God a lot of times. We're, we're trusting more in our process or more in our program or more in our idea of, of how the whole thing works. And I just find that more and more as, as I go on in life and in ministry, um, you know, the gospel is the power. And when the gospel gets in there, the transformation will come. If there's never transformation, then the gospel never was planted. But if the gospel really was planted, we'll know because transformation will come. But it might not come in the exact time frame um, that we think. And so let's just close with this. Jesus sent Paul to bring good news to the people of his day. And Jesus is sending you and he's sending me to bring good news to the people of our day. And let's ask God to help us to step out in faith and to share the gospel. Let's do that. This is, look, I've said this many times before, but this is the answer. This is the answer to everything, really. I mean, it it starts here. And if if it's family members, if it's friends, if it's coworkers, if it's, the community you live in, if it's the country that we're in, it, whatever it is. The problem is people are blind, they're in darkness, and they're in the captivity of Satan. The solution is the gospel. And once the gospel gets in there, everything changes. Changes for that person, and then inevitably it, it, it seems to affect the people around them, and that that impact can go on and on and on and on and on. And, and who, who would ever uh, even guess in, in so many cases the, the far-reaching impact that one life can have by receiving the gospel and then simply by sharing the gospel.